What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode three of season two of So What? It's time for our second interview of the season. The interview is with the glorious Ruth Singer, an artist who explores personal and collective narratives through textiles. Ruth's art combines historic needlework techniques with museum collections, so she's really the perfect So What guest. Ruth is perhaps best known for Criminal Quilts, an exhibition of textile artworks and research inspired by photographs and documents relating to women held in Stafford Prison from 1877 to 1916. You'll get to hear more about that project in the interview. For an overview of Ruth's work and inspirations, I'm going to read a passage from the About page on Ruth's website because she explains her own work better than I ever could. Here it is. Quote, I have been working as an artist maker in textiles for 15 years. Prior to setting up my own studio practice, I worked in museums for several years following a master's degree in museum studies before beginning my arts practice in 2005 and aimed to continue to bring the two together with creative projects inspired by heritage. I often work in collaboration and partnership and am keen to expand my portfolio with inspiring projects. I grew up with a love of history and a passion for textiles. I bring these two together in my practice as an artist exploring narratives, heritage, and material culture. I create exhibitions, installations, and commissions, often using old cloth and hand stitch with subtle and intriguing hidden stories. My work explores human experience expressed through thoughtful and emotionally engaged textile making. My subtle and delicate work references loss, memory, fragility, and damage in both the cloth itself and in our personal lives and the places in which we gather memories. My background as a textile historian and museum curator is woven throughout my work. I create pieces with a sense of history and a look of antiques, but with a powerful and contemporary story. I have produced five solo exhibitions between 2015 and 2019, including a major touring exhibition, Criminal Quilts. I have won several awards, including the Fine Art Quilt Masters Prize 2016, and I have successfully funded six major artist projects through Arts Council England applications and other funds, end quote. So like, how legit and cool is Ruth? She is so legit and so cool, trust me. It was truly an honor to interview an artist whose work basically embodies everything I talk about and celebrate on this here podcast. Ruth and I talk about all sorts of stuff, from her past museum jobs, to her criminal quilts project, to historic pincushions. And you can, of course, see images and links to Ruth's work and all the other stuff we discuss in the interview on the So What Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and website at SoWhatPodcast.com. The interview is a delight, a joy, a rousing journey that combines historic needlework with modern art making. Here it is. Ruth, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really, really excited that you're here. I've been following you on Twitter and Instagram for a while. I love your stuff. I just I feel like I'm meeting a local celebrity. So thanks. It's <laughs> really nice to be here. Thank you. How did you come to make and research textiles? Like, what's your origin story? It's quite a complicated one. Most textile artists that I know kind of learnt textiles with their granny or their mum and then went and did a textile degree and then scratched set up their business and all of that. And I did none of those things. So I, my degree is in medieval history um, and then I did a master's degree in museum studies and I worked in the museum sector for nearly 10 years. And But alongside all of that, I'd always been 
a textile enthusiast and textile hobby maker. I learned, I didn't really get started in textiles until I was about 12 when my stepmom taught me to make my own clothes, which was what I most wanted to do because I wanted to be a fashion designer at that point. And it was all about the clothes. And I then started making, you know, smaller things. I made a lot of bags and stuff like that. And that when I was working my last full-time job, which is 15, 16 years ago now, was at the BNA. I was, was adult education officer there for three years, which was amazing. It was a fantastic job, but I was behind a desk all the time rather than kind of doing the fun stuff. I was organizing other people to do fun stuff and do the creative projects. And I got a bit jealous and wanted to kind of do that myself, basically, <laughs> instead of organizing other people to do the creative things. I wanted to do that myself. So I, I actually left my job there and so that was 2005 um, and set up my own studio practice. And it took me some time to really establish what I was really doing. I was kind of flapping about and doing all sorts of different things, freelancing in the museum sector on side or as the main work and then de slowly developing my, my textile practice. But where I started off was my textile work was all inspired by historic textiles and very much based on historical textiles and techniques. So because my background is a medievalist, that's kind of what I started with. I was doing a lot of research into medieval textiles while I was at the v in my in my days off, which was extremely convenient because I had amazing collections and access to curators and things. So I did do a lot of research. So I opted for the setting up my own business and freelancing and crossing over in kind of the art museum gallery world um, for quite a long time. And um, it kind of my own practice kind of evolved from there so I started off making cushions and bags and um, that kind of product type thing based on a lot of 18th century pleating and folding techniques so that's what I kind of really specialized in that developed into um, a kind of real specialism in fabric manipulation using historical techniques and contemporary interpretations of them and I really kind of focused on that for a long time. And that was the main part of my work. So I was then I moved into producing larger scale pieces. So I was cleaning wall hangings and panels and started working with upholsterers and interior designers and kind of doing bigger scale things. And, and then the recession hit, the, the, the first <laughs> recent recession, 2008. And that kind of luxury, working in that kind of luxury industry was just a disaster. So I had a year out and went back into the museum sector worked on a um, museum project for a year and was just so desperate to get back into the studio after that it really helped me kind of focus my mind that I love museum work really really loved it but I also loved making and I needed to be doing that so since then I've managed to kind of develop my work so I'm kind of do do a bit of both so a lot of my creative work now is either in partnership with or inspired by museum collections um, or heritage or archives. So now it's my, my work is almost entirely exhibition focused. So I don't make products, I don't make individual small pieces to sell. I make groups of work for a particular exhibition on a theme or I work on community projects in the days when we used to be able to go out and work with groups <laughs> and um, commissions and artist residencies. So I spend time you know, with one organisation and create a body of work around that. You are living the dream. I would love to hear more about your Criminal Quilts project. It's actually how I got to know you and your work because I was, I found out about it on Twitter. I stalked you a little bit. I was like, this is a treat. This is a joy. Oh my God. So could you tell me how that project came about and how did the images of 
these women in Stafford Prison from the 19th century inspire your own work? It's been a long process with that, but actually, it's, again, it started more than 10 years ago. I was asked to make some work for an exhibition for a gallery called the Shire Hall Gallery, which in those days, a contemporary craft gallery based in the Shire Hall in Stafford, which is the 18th century court room, court buildings. Um, and they asked me to make some work based on the building because I'd made some work inspired by historic buildings before. They thought it would be interesting for the show. And I went and did a research visit, been there before, but I went and did a research visit and was looking around, particularly in the and the holding cells and the and the courtroom with the wood panelling and there's plasterwork ceilings and all very visual. And I was kind of right, right, you know, took loads of photos, did some drawings, did rubbings, colour palettes. And then I found these photographs of women, well, men and women, who had been held in Stafford Prison um, in a display about people who'd you know, been through that court in the 19th, late 19th, early 20th century. And the photographs that I originally saw were, there's only about six of women that I um, copied and um, went away with because they were so intriguing from the 1870s. And they were holding their hands on their chests, kind of their hands, their, so their palms open out, their fingers splayed out on their chests. And I discovered that that was because in case of missing fingers as kind of identification, in case of any kind of injuries to the hands, so it would make them identifiable but the hands were so powerful the faces and the hands somehow the kind of the hands frame in the faces and the hands made them look really vulnerable somehow really weird it's it's a really odd thing about why the hands make such a difference I think because it's really unusual we're not used to seeing photographs like that and also for me as a textile person the photographs are really good at for showing their clothing because they're wearing their own clothes you can see their shawls you can see their hats and um, you can see some of their garments and where they're damaged, you know, like ripped clothes because they were you know, really, really poor. So really kind of interesting from a textile point of view and also kind of from a social history point of view. So I was completely transfixed by these set of photographs and asked the curator, can I do, can I use these photographs instead? Because they're really amazing. And she was really happy with that. I thought that was really interesting. Put me in touch with the archivist. Um, so I could actually, you know, learn a bit more about them. But I actually chose not to do any more research about them beyond the names of the women in the photographs because I knew I just would end up doing a massive research project. But I came up with the concept of making miniature quilts based on each of the individual photographs or vaguely inspired by each of the individual photographs with the hands as a kind of significant part of the feature of the work. So each of them have got the kind of outline of hands in them and one with the digital print of the photograph so it kind of kick-started my way of kind of using not just the photographs but the kind of wider story um as kind of as my inspiration it was really the first time I'd created work that wasn't just purely based on something visual so I made six miniature pieces I think I probably intended to make 12 originally but ran out of time <laughs> six is good and um, and they were on display at the museum I uh, mean the gallery and then they later um, were able to purchase them and so they became they went and on display and became part of the museum collection which was amazing for me having come from you know from the museum background to have my work in a museum collection was kind of like oh, you know amazing I've, I've achieved my goals now but also the the they bought the work I had photographs of the work and was talking about it and when I was doing talks and workshops and things and people were really interested and then a gallery asked if I could show them and I went, well no they belong to the museum now <laughs> I don't have them anymore so would I agreed with them that I, they were very happy with me to continue making work based on the photographs. So I carried on making a new body of work of small pieces. And then that gradually over several years, I carried on making it. 
made some larger scale pieces, which then went into a solo exhibition that I, the first solo exhibition in 2015. And I included a, a group of new pieces on, on the criminal quilts theme, much encouraged by my mentor at the time to make something bigger because I was making these little tiny quilts, scale up, scale up. So I made bigger pieces and uh, got a lot of really good good feedback from them. And a year later, I put one of those pieces into the Fine Art Quilt Masters competition at the Festival of Quilts and won it, which was amazing, <laughs> completely amazing and totally unexpected and fantastic for publicity meant that suddenly this project, which was kind of just sort of ticking over because I didn't have any, you know, it wasn't a major project at that point. It was just something I was exploring for my own interest. A lot of interest, lots of exhibitions for the work, lots of ongoing interest. So I put in a funding application to the Arts Council to take it further with the idea that I would be able to do the research that I've always wanted to do and spend a lot more time researching more of the photographs I don't you know and, and really delving into detail so from the six photographs that I started off with I thought there were about 100 others there were 500 others <laughs> it turned into an enormous project I had a team of volunteers who did a lot of that the archive-based research, and loads of them doing and doing the family history research, doing and you know digging around on ancestry and tracing some of these women and their lives, and we turned that into a book and a tra travelling exhibition, which launched at the Festival of Quilts in 2018. It started off doing sort of touring in local venues in Staffordshire because I it was a very much a Staffordshire project, and then it's gone wider and it's been all over the country now, and it's um, it's going to continue traveling as much as possible and I, it's kind of it's still in development I'm still working on it and the current versions of it I'm making collaboration work so I've been working with other artists to make some completely different things not necessarily textiles I've got some paintings to work with done some metal work with a jeweler so kind of really pushing the boundaries of that project that is incredible. I love that it's become its own universe. It's developed a life of its own. Can you tell me more about your own work? And we've talked briefly about how museums and historic textiles inspire your own work and practice. So I'm curious about if you could tell me more about maybe specific stitches or objects that you're inspired by. The mo most recently, probably the most relevant thing that I've done recently was my uh, kind of a solo show I did 2018-19 which kind of is in two parts two slightly different names one was called emotional repair and the second one was called textile traces but they're kind of variations on the same exhibition um one smaller and one bigger so the original concept of the project was to create was to bring together a body of work that I'd been doing kind of on personal themes about personal experiences um and particularly things like uh, loss and grief and mourning which is something I'm really interested in fairly from the outside but also in terms of my own work so I'd already created some work around those kind of stories family history family uh, members who died and I'd created memorial pieces and a lot of that work was inspired by museum collections in a fairly broad sense but some of it very specifically for example I did a a series of 47 miniature pincushions um, in memory of my auntie who died aged 47. So I wanted to make something that was in tiny pieces that I could make 47 small pieces of something and pincushions, doing kind of research, reading a lot about about pincushions kind of given as gifts or pincushions given um, at, at, at a birth as gifts. And I kind of like that kind of inspired me to do something, to, to explore the idea of pincushions. So I got to do a lot of research reading nice books about pincushions, which there aren't very many of. And also I arranged to do a research visit at Gawthorpe Textiles Collection, where they, I knew they had some nice pincushions. 
and it was a lovely museum that I wanted to go to anyway <laughs> and it was a really good excuse so I went to Gawthorpe to do this research initial research with the pincushions collection saw a lot of their pincushions and then because it's a tiny tiny um, organization the research visits take place in the library so there's the um, textile collection books all around and actually the curators in there doing stuff with the collection so I was kind of like looking in boxes and going oh, oh look at that nice you've got there oh that's an interesting embroidery can I have a look at that so I did get to kind of delve around with um with other pieces of textiles there but I uh, was mostly supposed to be concentrating on the pincushions so I mostly worked with those and then created this whole series of pincushions myself using um kind of inspiration from techniques and materials so tiny little pieces of patchwork really tiny paper piece patchwork um I did some um flame stitch embroidery on one of them I used quite a lot of hand embroidery very much inspired by those historic pin cushions and a lot of kind of working with pins as the decoration which is you know which is what historic pin cushions often are I'm looking at my collection of them my own collection which is just over there <laughs> So pincushions are something, you know, I really love. And that was, it was, but in terms of creating my own work, it was a really nice way of being able to explore lots of different materials and techniques in one project. So, because they are so tiny, I could do something really complicated and fiddly, but it only had to be, you know, three inches square. So it kind of made it manageable. And that was, and using a lot of antique fabrics and um, interesting kind of decorative details that I'd kind of hoarded in my collection of interesting old pieces. So that was a really nice way of working with that. And then over the years, that's developed, kind of kept in touch with Gawthorpe. And then we arranged for me to show that work and create a broader exhibition around it a few years later. And that's what became my emotional repair exhibition. So I did another research visit there, um, particularly interested in mourning textiles and mourning samplers and memorials. And I had an interest, one of the interesting things with kind of museum collections and my way of working is what I was interested in was unfinished or damaged things, which is not necessarily the way museum collections are catalogued. So it was actually really hard for them to identify um, things in the collection that actually fitted those themes. I mean, you know, memorials, fine, but unfinished. Sometimes people would mention that they were unfinished, but you can't always tell if a piece is unfinished. And if the person who catalogued it, the... Um, the one who created the collection, you know, she was interested in the stitch technique, not in the fact that it wasn't finished. So there was, so we managed to find a few pieces in there because that was the kind of themes I was interested in exploring. When I had the show there, the way the, the, the textile collection galleries are in the, it's a National Trust house, uh, it's a 16th century house, and the textile collections are in one floor and you go upstairs and you go through the historic collections and then into their contemporary gallery where they show contemporary artists' work. And exhibitions and an awful lot of people didn't notice that there was a difference coming through that they'd actually moved into contemporary work from the historical collections and I could see because I spent quite a lot of time in there I could see people being slightly puzzled and a kind of I love that is this, is this this part of the museum collection why 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 is it like you know because my work it looks can look quite historic but actually if you look at it in detail pay attention to it you realize it, it's not because you know it's got some kind of his, contemporary theme or story behind it being able to show my work in that kind of context next to the historic objects that inspired them and actually in the historic building itself was you know was perfect it was a really 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 lovely way of working 
what is your favorite needleworked object that's not your own work? Feel free to also tell me more than one object. I am like the more the merrier, but do what feels right. I, re I was thinking about this. Uh, I really struggled to choose any one particular thing because it does depend what yeah. I'm researching at the moment or what yeah. I'm interested in. So I've gone for the kind of like the, where it all started, really, medieval textiles. So medieval embroideries, medieval church embroideries. I did work at the V&A for three years. I got to hang out with the medieval embroideries a lot. I would, you know, when I had to go to a meeting on the other side of the building, I would sort of set out 10 minutes early and have 10 minutes in the textile gallery. Medieval embroideries, church embroideries, is that's what there is. That's probably, you know, that's where my real love of textiles is, was mostly focused. For many years, the research I was doing was on tassels and trimmings and braids, which really specialist and obscure bit of medieval textiles. So those various kind of purses and chasubles and altar cloths with fringing that I got a bit obsessed with. So I kind of love those. And then later I I discovered the, the Tristan quilt, which is the 14th century quilting, which wasn't on display when I worked there. So I didn't know it. That I, I kind of only seen pictures of it and I didn't really see it until they put up the new medieval galleries, um, which opened just after I left. So I actually, and since, so since then, that's become my kind of obsession, particularly because that's a technique that I have then done loads of research for. So that's kind of probably is my... My star object it is uh, triponto quilting and corded quilting which is my area of historical textiles that I still kind of I'm still actively researching whereas the medieval textiles are kind of you know but there's that is very much on the kind of research side I'm not although I do make contemporary corded quilting I'm not researching it for the purposes of making it I'm researching it for the purposes of researching it the technique I'm particularly interested in the technique and the materials rather than the you know, the it is the design source from the continents or is it not? You know, I'm I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in how it was made and who made it and and why they made it and have they used wool or cotton and what you know what why where did they learn the technique and is it professional or not professional and that's kind of where I'm interested in. But it's definitely all of my textile history research has always come from technique. Really, is what I'm most interested in of how is this made. What do you think the role of needlework is in today's world? It's a big question, but it's a nice question. Um, I was thinking about this earlier because the Textiles in Lockdown project that I worked on last year for Gawthorpe Textiles Collection, researching what people were making, textile people were making during lockdown and how they kind of use textiles um, either as a business or as a hobby to kind of keep themselves going. And I think that really kind of focused my mind that actually textile, there's such a universal, it's such a universal technique um, and hobby or practice so many people do it and it actually textiles is a very communal activity we like to share what we're doing often in groups and podcasts and oh you know textiles is very kind of community focused and I think that's a really important and I think that's a real strength within the textile world that has also continued during um pandemic that we've people have found ways to kind of share and bring um Bring, come together and share what they're making and make collective projects and collaborative things and I think for a lot of people textiles is a way of expressing what's going on in their lives and how they're feeling in a way that feels kind of comfortable and safe so a lot of people make textiles particularly in community projects and group projects where they can kind of say something about how terrible life is but or how difficult life is or how wonderful things are or whatever but able to express those emotions in a way that they might not do in any other way 
um, and particularly on a kind of collective projects when people are able to kind of share and work with other people in one way or another. I think that can be really, really powerful. So I think textiles is incredibly significant and kind of underappreciated in terms of how impactful it is to so many people's lives. And it's actually really, you know, so many of us are involved in it and it's so, um, it's such an, it, it, you know, it's good for well-being. So many people will say that, you know, that's a lot of that came out in the textiles and lockdown research about how being able to make and still being able to make at home was really, really important. But that the kind of communal aspects and sharing and bringing people together is incredible. It's amazing how textiles can do that. Finally, the last question, how can people learn more about your work? Do you have anything you'd like to promote? You're everywhere and you're always doing stuff. So I'm sure there's lots. The, the focus of everything is my website, ruthsinger.com. Um, and then I've got online exhibitions on there. Criminal Quilts is on there and a film about Criminal Quilts. So you can see some of the original photographs as well as the making process behind some of the work. Um, there's another film on there, which is kind of on my other work, looking at kind of narratives and stories within textile practice. And most of my recent work is covered on the website. And then I've kind of got blog posts about all sorts of in depth. Um, I do a few online workshops. So there's one coming up at the end of February on um, using scrap patchwork, uh, using scraps in patchwork, tiny little pieces of historic treasures, which is what I like to do using tiny, tiny fragments of antique textile and hand stitch. Um, and uh, Instagram, I'm at Ruth Singer Textiles. And for Criminal Quilts, a uh, Twitter account called Criminal Quilts. Thank you so much for the interview. It's been such a treat and such a delight. Thank you. It's been really good fun. So there we are, the interview. Thank you to Ruth for being a stellar interviewee. As you heard in the interview, we talk about corded and trapunto quilting, and I wanted to briefly define that for those who don't know what it is. Corded quilting was popular from the late 17th through the early 19th centuries and involves raised motifs. The quilt is usually white linen or sometimes silk that is backed with a loosely woven fabric and then motifs are outlined in running stitches or back stitches to form channels, which are then stuffed with soft cotton cord. That creates a raised effect. Trapunto is similar. It originated in Italy before the 14th century and it involves at least two layers. The underlayer is slit and then padded in certain areas, creating raised motifs. So there you go. Talking with Ruth really was a treat, and I hope listening to her talk was a treat too. Do check out her website and works and workshops and all of those other things. Links are on the So What social media pages. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for supporting the pod. I'm so happy you're here. Now go out and stitch some stories and go check out Ruth Singer's work because it is awesome. Bye!